Today is December 4th. The winter meetings have started down in Nashville. And that means we're going to hear a lot of rumors, speculation, and maybe something will get done. Jim Leland Hall of Fame. It's the Bridge to Bucktober podcast. Yins guys, thank you for listening to the Bridge to Bucktober podcast where we talk all about them Pittsburgh Pirates and that. My name is Josh, and I'm alone again this week, but that's all right. So no Jake this week. Uh, he's traveling this weekend, and um, well, I had a, a pretty busy weekend myself, was not able to get anyone else in here, and... I often say you're stuck with me, but I think we have a good enough show today uh, to hold its own. Uh, plenty to talk about, plenty of things to go through. So, um, not really news, by the way. I mean, it is the beginning of the winter meetings, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the Pirates are going to be active uh, on Sunday. But I guess there's probably only one way to start this thing off, and... We'll start it off by saying that I waited to hit record here to see if Jim Leland was going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, and that is the case. Uh, many of you who listen to this, I would imagine, uh, remember Jim Leland managing the Pirates, and those years in the early 90s, late 80s, all that stuff is kind of where myself, like where I started really paying attention and kind of forming that fandom. And, you know, Leland was always there. I remember um, even after he left, still kind of having it. Uh, I had this, um, I used to, I used to draw when I was a kid and I had this drawing of Jim Leland and he had his pirates hat on and he was, and it was kind of like a side profile or whatever. And I, you know, I, had worked on it for a long time. It's just, you know, it was a kid drawing. I wonder if wonder if that drawing still exists somewhere. It'd be interesting to know if that's still somewhere, if my parents ever kept that. Anyway, um, I remember like when he went to the Marlins and won the World Series. I remember that I actually went in and erased the Pirates logo on his <laughs> on his hat and drew the Marlins logo. Um, at the time, I don't know how old I would have been. Uh, I guess he, what was that? 97. Did he win it in 1997? It's going to be interesting if I, yeah, yeah. Marlins. That was, that was Cleveland. Weird that I didn't remember that either way. Um, yeah. So since I'm not good at math, I was like 14 years old when I decided to erase that and put the Marlins logo up, probably well on my way to being a, well, yeah, whatever. Let's not jump the gun. Don't know that I was a depressed Pirates fan. I liked baseball. But that was about the age, you know, you, you start eighth, you know, eighth grade, uh, somewhere around there, and you're starting to get into that high school time. You start to pay more attention to your ball than you are, like, watching ball. So I could see that. Being, being the case. Uh, anyway, Jim Leland, excited about that. Uh, where's my button here? Got to give him a clap uh, for Jim Leland. Those years were awesome. Uh, big Andy Van guy, I was. And obviously, you know, when a team wins, you like the manager. When a team loses, you don't. That's just how it goes. Um but yeah, let's get this thing going. I, I literally was just sitting here and I was like, hey, you know what? I'm ready to go. I'm ready to hit record. 7.30, they're going to make this announcement. I can stick around and wait. Looks like the Pirates are now posting. And I'm literally like minutes after the announcement. It's like, okay, time to hit record. Yeah, the Pirates have put it up. Go ahead and send out some retweets. You guys are hearing that. And um, awesome. It says uh, 15 of a possible 16. And he was the only one. They got in on that ballot too. Um, 
Very good. Glad to see that. And he was. I mean, he was. He's worthy. I think that's great. Good job, Jim Leland. Um, that'll be a fun speech <laughs> come this summer, I think. So, anyway, no real rhyme or or uh, structure to today's show. I have a ton of notes. Um, basically, just going to navigate down through this list. We'll chat about it all, and and just kind of get into. Some of the deals that are already done, some rumors that are out there, some speculation talk. Um, it's it's worth sticking around this episode. Um, essentially, uh, it's going to be however long it takes for me to get down through this list. Um, it, since it's just me, there's no back and forth. There's no you know second opinion. It's all mine today. For the second opinion, if you're on YouTube, comment. Comment on the video. Uh, give us something to bring up on next week's show. Stuff like that. Give us your thoughts on on anything that I'm that I'm talking about today. Where I missed, where I hit, all of those things. Let us know. And if you're not on YouTube and you're listening to the audio portion of this, which I would think that most of you are, um, it's a little hit and miss on how to. Uh, to make contact at that point, which is why we always mention YouTube. Um, maybe go over to the YouTube page and leave a comment. Or uh, if, if you're a Twitter X user, you can send something over on there. Uh, Facebook, send a message over on the Facebook page. However you contact, even uh, Instagram will work. I will get notified, but we should, I don't know if there's a better way to do that. If you guys know of a better way to communicate with those who listen all the time, let me know. I'm all about it. There's some moves around the league. Sonny Gray signs with the Cardinals, three years, 75. We've already talked about uh, the other two there. Kenta Maeda, who's 36 years old, signs a two-year deal with the Tigers, uh, worth $24 million. Nick Martinez signs a two-year deal with the Reds, for $26 million with an opt-out after the first year because he's a Boris client. And uh, I've said it time and time again on these Boris clients. Um, he's gonna sign the, he's gonna sign these opt-outs, these one-year deals, these pillow contracts. And in this case, it's Nick Martinez, a guy who believes he can start and hasn't had a, a crazy amount of opportunity there. If the Reds give him an opportunity to start and he does well, he's opting out. It's as easy as that. And if he doesn't do well and they push him to the bullpen, then he's an overpaid bullpen piece for the Reds for next year. I mean, that's just <laughs> it's probably what it is. Starters are getting so much money right now that even a you could have a bullpen guy who's more valuable to the wins and losses of your team than a starter, and the starter's still going to make more money. Granted, he's supposed to pitch more innings and whatever else. So, you know, I'm just saying that's the way it's going right now. Reds also signed relief pitcher Emilio Pagan for two years, 16. Um, pretty good example right there of, of just the difference. So as far as the Pirates... As far as what they've done, it's been very little. It's been well documented that it's been very little. And, well, maybe there's more to come this week. If it's going to happen this week, would be a good time for it to happen. But let's go through the uh, three and a half moves that were made. Um, we'll start with two and a half. Pirates claim right-handed pitcher Rodery Munoz from the Nationals. Um, he's added to the 40-man roster. He was with the Braves, was up on their prospect list. They ended up letting him go in July, I believe. The Nationals picked him up. Um, boy, I thought I had notes on that one in particular, but I'm I'm not seeing all of that. But either way, um, yeah, he's essentially... Um, he was with the Nationals. They just designated him as well. And I believe he has two options left. So that's really a depth piece for the bullpen. Um, this is a pretty typical offseason move. You want to see something like that made. And if he's replacing 
this next move, which is the half move, is why I say half transactions. Um, the Pirates release Thomas Hatch in order to pursue over, an overseas opportunity. And I believe he signed with a, with a team in the Japanese uh, league. However, I was surprised to see some of the backlash on this. Thomas Hatch was not a guy we wanted to be on this roster come spring training. And when they released him, this news came out before the other two. And when they released him, there was a lot of talk like, we don't sign anybody, but we're letting people go. And I'm like, we wanted letting Thomas Hatch go, in my opinion, is an addition. You just don't, I understand depth. I understand all, he had no options. He was going to be, if he was going to be there, he was going to be in Pittsburgh. And it was going to be another one of those things. We just, we've got too many guys with no options. They're going to start getting weeded out. That's just the way it goes. There's no other way to, to really spin this. That is not, I need my pen. I need my pen. There it is. Now I can think. There's no other way to spin this. Um, he's going to, to overseas to pursue opportunities because he doesn't assume he can get them here, at least not at the rate that he could get them there because the opportunities are greater um, for players in his position. So he's going to go try to figure some things out, but this is a guy that... Really, the Pirates needed to to part ways with. Fast forward a, a day or two, whatever it was, uh, and, and Munoz comes in, and that's probably a better option. We'll see how it goes. It's at least the potential to be a better option, in my opinion. Um, Hatch would have been gone in the first wave. So, that's yeah, that's my opinion. I don't want to dwell too much on, like I said, I don't want to dwell too much on the people that I that I don't like. I don't. Um, it's not beneficial to say things like that, right? But you have to say it. So the other move that they made is they hire Sarah Gellis as an assistant general manager. Sarah Gellis was with the Astros uh, as a director and player uh, in research and development and spent some time with the Orioles for a while, started off as an intern with the Pirates. So kind of a full circle moment maybe. Uh, for Sarah Gellis, but analytical um, seems like from what everybody's writing about her, very smart person. I don't know why anybody would ever not want a smart person to be added to a group. Doesn't seem like this is a replacement for anybody. And one of the interesting things that I saw in this was that this is the third assistant general manager that the Pirates have which has a lot of fans asking, why have three? Will they carry three assistant GMs all year for more than a year? Like, what's the deal? And there's been some like, well, now it looks like Sherrington maybe gets bumped up and one of those guys get bumped up. And then this is, I, I don't know that that's, you know, necessarily it. It could be, but it doesn't have to be. I looked around and they would not be the only team with three AGMs. In fact, I, I tweeted out this week that even St. Louis and Milwaukee in our division already have three assistant GMs. The Cubs have two. The Reds only have one, but the Reds still have Cam Bonifay in their front office. So, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I mean, they do, but it doesn't mean anything. Unless it does. I don't know. You tell me if it means anything. If you even know who Cam Bonifay is. However, the point is, that this is not rare. Um, I went through just about all the teams. Um, pretty common. The Marlins have three listed and just hired Gabe Kapler as an assistant GM. However, I don't know. They're also shaking some things up. Kim Ng is gone. There's somebody else coming into the into the fold. So I don't even know if all those people are still retained. On MLB.com, the, it, it's still listed with those. Kim Ng's not on there, but you know what I mean? The, the new GM is not on there either. So I, I don't know who's gone and who's there and whatnot. However, um, I do know that Cleveland has four assistant GMs listed. So a lot of teams, what they do is um, they'll list, they'll list uh, like areas of specialization along with it. For example, the Cardinals list theirs as assistant GM for one of them, assistant GM and director of scouting for another, and assistant GM and director of player development. 
Um, other teams don't. I think uh, who's the other team? I said Milwaukee, right? I think they just have assistant GM listed. Um, I forget what the Cubs. Uh, I didn't actually look at those again when I was when I was looking that because I just I was like I got an example. It's good enough for me. So th- a lot of them they they put they they show their other role. Um, I would guess uh, that she's you, you know with her forte of research and player development or whatever. Um, I would I would think that she would oversee the research and development team who's listed as Dan Fox, currently Senior Director, Strategy and Research, and Sean Ahmed is Director and Research and Development. So, like, I would imagine Assistant GM, but maybe overseeing the Research and Development team would probably be something that would maybe even fill a hole um, that the other two Assistant GMs are not going to do. So, yeah, I mean, this would be a welcomed position and not like well, why would you even have three well it makes sense look at your company you may have you know multiple vice presidents that doesn't mean you know there's a vp of this a vp of this an avp of this an avp of this. you know what i mean there's just all kinds of positions that, th- that could be here so yeah i would i would imagine they would carry three maybe something else happens i don't know but i just don't think that that's something that is like well what are they you know what are we doing we like to be negative before we even think of anything to be positive. Our first, as Pirates fans, our first reaction has to be negative. And then we come around to things. Am I right? I mean, that's how we treat things. At least if you look at the the pulse of Facebook and Twitter, that is exactly how everything is done. The first assumption is this is a bad move, and then you try to warm yourself up to it. So just like the signing of of Ali Sanchez, the catcher, um, which is actually the one I didn't talk about yet. Um, signing Ali Sanchez to a one-year deal. Um, he's been added to the 40-man roster with no minor league options. He had a great year in AAA last year, whatever. Um, from what I understand, defensive first catcher. Jason DeLay has two options, but Jason DeLay played well last year, and I thought they really liked him moving forward as a backup catcher. Henry Davis is supposed to be catching, so now we've got four catchers worthy of the active roster. We know that's not going to happen. We we do think that they'll carry three with Henry Davis and possibly Andy Rodriguez maybe playing some other positions and Jason DeLay filling in as needed. I mean, if you know, when, once you start moving catchers to different positions, you've got to still have a guy available. So I would imagine that's always going to be the case is that one of those three guys is going to be available in case of an injury. Or two. And so uh, you could speculate a lot of things here. Obviously, maybe Jason DeLay is going to go to AAA to start the year and be, if anybody gets hurt, he's the first call and it's an easy call. So maybe he's the depth piece. I, I Man, I'd be hard-pressed to believe that. Maybe Jason DeLay is going to be traded. Maybe one of the other two are going to get traded in order to try to get Starting pitching, we know, is still a thing. And starting pitchers are starting to very, very slowly. The Cardinals have gone out and got starting pitching. To be honest with you, the Tigers signing Kenta Maeda does not move anything for me. I would not want to sign that guy. Um, just not my thing. He hasn't pitched. He's been injured. He's old. I'm out. There's no interest there for me. Uh, you can be old and pitch a lot of innings. Or you can maybe not have a lot of innings but be young. I could see either one of those two, not both, <laughs> not, not both for me. Um, yeah. So that doesn't do anything for me. Nick Martinez, you could even say, I mean, it's been really funny because we've been really hard on the pirates for not making moves. And to be completely honest, only our division is making moves and it's really just the reds and the Cardinals. The Cubs are talking about it. I mean, they overpaid them. I mean, they paid, they paid a manager. I mean, And so maybe that's something, and they're in all the rumors, but they haven't done anything. The Brewers did sign the – it's on my rumors uh, section here, but technically it got done. But they did sign their their prospect. Uh, We'll get to it. It's on my notes, and it's it's not on my – there it is down there. I'm not going to worry about it. We'll move on. We'll catch it. It is done. So they've done that, but that's not really – that's not really the same thing, right? So the Reds. The Reds have made a couple – 
I mean, the Braves, that's old news at this point. They completely revamped their bullpen and did it in a hurry. But like most everybody, slow. And that's, I don't know. Is that normal? I, it's so funny how much you don't remember from last year. Is that normal? Were the Did nothing happen until the winter meetings before? I know that that's typically uh, the winter meetings is when it gets hot, but there's usually like some things done. Aaron Nola re-signed. To me, that's not a deal. I know it's a big deal for Phillies fans, but for everybody else, it's just business as usual because he didn't change teams. It didn't shake anything up. I think it was assumed that they would try their hardest to retain him, um, and they got it done. So whatever. But either way, uh, you, you just don't know. Is, is one of these young catchers that we like so much in Davis or Rodriguez – are they going to be on the move to try to bolster starting pitching? I don't know that this signing really tells us. This also could be another way to, to just get him into spring, and that's what he needed, and try to pass him through. I don't have any idea. Wait, wait and see. We will wait and see. But either way, it seems like it's not like it's like a it's a one-year deal. There's – I will subscribe to this forever. There's no such thing as a bad one-year deal because you just if, if it's not working out, you should be able to just cut it and say, we'll cut our losses for this year, and then it's done. And, you know, if, if you're not doing well, but you've got this guy, then he's an asset. Get more guys for him. You have to trade him at the deadline. I, I don't like the idea, even with Carlos Santana last year, if you can get anything, I just don't like the idea of hanging on to somebody for nothing, just to let it play out. No, no, no. I To me, I'd always move them. And I know that that's not popular with a lot of people, and that's fine. That's why we all have opinions. So the winter meeting started today. We're going to keep moving down this list. Um, what do we have coming up? We had the, we had the uh, whatever the committee is, I can't remember off the top of my head, um, but the the recent, man, whatever it is. I, it's funny how I just can't get past something. That's why I don't read books. If I get stuck on something, I end up there for half an hour and then I get mad and throw it on the ground. So anyway, the, the announcement was made today that Jim Leland's going to the Hall of Fame. Uh, Tuesday, the draft lottery will happen at 5.30. It'll be on MLB Network for those who uh, still have MLB Network and want to watch. Um, last year, we watched the Pirates steal the number one pick. Um, overall, the show wasn't that interesting, right? But as it started to get down to the wire, uh, you started to get, you started to get locked in a little bit. I remember sitting in the living room for this very first draft lottery for the MLB. And I remember us clapping and cheering when we got number one. I didn't expect that to happen, but just like anything, if you watch it long enough, you get invested and then. If the outcome's there, the outcome's there. I don't know. Will it be the same thing this year? I, I don't know. I, it's one of those things that I won't look forward to it. I'll, I'll probably tune in and watch it. And if I get glued, that's what I do, I guess. So we'll get into it. Either way, the Rule 5 draft will be the next day on Wednesday, 2 p.m. It'll be streamed live on MLB.com. And, you know, you'll go through the Major League portion and through the rounds and everybody will pass and... You know, something will happen. Um, I haven't actually looked over the list. I haven't actually looked over, and I'll get into maybe why in a little bit. But I didn't, so I don't I don't have any hot takes for you who the Pirates are going to take if they take somebody. But last year it worked out. Jose Hernandez seems to be somebody that'll that'll stick around a little bit. He certainly was able to stick around last year, so we'll see how the next year goes. But maybe somebody's out there. Um who's able to make some sort of impact, uh, just the same. But this usually wraps up the winter meetings on Wednesday. Most everything's already happened, sort of closes out the door on Nashville. Um, it doesn't mean that deals won't still happen the rest of the week and into the weekend, but the hot stove, when everyone being around and going crazy and, and all the meetings and conversations uh, took place, and all of that will probably bleed into action later in the week because those things, the groundwork was laid, things like that. Um, but, you know, the excitement and whatever, if you're if you're into the off-season stuff, will all happen 
really even today, I guess, is a little bit energy today. Um, when I turned it on to, to see the Hall of Fame announcement, I had realized that they were on there and there was some energy as they were talking about Otani and whatever else. But there was some energy involved. So we'll see more of that throughout the week if, if you pay attention. If you don't pay attention, then tune in next week or to all the different uh, great Pirates podcasts. We'll all let you know what happened. And um, yeah. So let's get into some of the rumors that are already flying around. Um, we'll go around the league, obviously, since the Pirates aren't involved in rumors, and and I'll get into that too. The fact that they're not. Um, but this has an impact on who might be available for the Pirates and what other teams are checking into and 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 things like that. So it, it's always worth it's always worth looking in and checking into all the different rumors and things like that. And we'll get through these pretty quick. You know, every day it seems something new comes up with teams who are interested in trading for Dylan Cease. I expect something this week to get done or it'll shut down this week and it won't get done. But there's been a lot of Pirate fans saying they're interested in Dylan Cease. So we'll see if the Pirates are even in that conversation. The Juan Soto trade talks continuing. That's the other piece, the Otani and the Juan Soto. That's what they were talking about with the energy I was talking about. But they're continuing. Maybe something happens this week. Soto on a one-year deal. What are people willing to give up for one year? There's two camps there. There's Man, there's a lot to get rid of for one year if you're a team. Like if you give up way too much just to have a guy for a year. And then if you're out of it, are you looking to trade him in July? You know what I'm saying? Like, geez. And then the other camp says, if you're close and this guy pushes you over the edge to get a world championship and it was always worth it, sure, if it works out, um, then 100%. That that one championship will last you a while. That's for sure. I mean, we haven't had one in long enough that we would love to have one that we would... I mean, could you imagine if the Pirates won a championship in 13, 14, or 15, we'd still be talking about it. As somebody who's, um, I guess when you're talking baseball fans, right? I would be in the middle because you've got your, you've got your older generation who actually remember <laughs> the World Championship. Then there's me who was born just after that, and I'm kind of in that middle range where 13, 14, and 15 don't seem that long ago for me. Maybe just in that part of my life where I'm like, dude, that was just a few years ago. Like, it doesn't feel that long ago. It's 10 years now. 13 was 10 years ago. And it, for me, 10 years is just not that long ago. But until you think about it. I mean, I'm wrong about that, right? It's perception. It's just perception. But for young fans, man, it's like forever ago. And so, sure, I get that. Uh, Yeah. I think, you, I think you understand where I'm going for that. If you could get that one championship, it'd last a while. Um, you think the Padres, just a quick question here, you think the Padres getting rid of one of these stars actually makes them better? I mean, they're probably one of the top teams that are that are poised to kind of bounce back from, from how bad they were last year with all the talent that's on their roster. They're going to lose some of that. Um, it'll be hard to know if they're better because they're like I said, they're bound to have a better year. So if they do trade Soto and Hater's not there and whoever else, you would think it'd be easy to say, oh, yeah, well, they once they got rid of him, they were better off. It's going to be hard to really say because they're probably going to be better even if they keep him. <laughs> so that's going to be interesting. TV situation that we talked about last week. If you didn't listen to last week's show, Go back and listen. That whole TV situation, which is still part of the conversation, and it will be part of the conversation, I imagine, next week. We're expected to hear something about the, the Pirates' decision with their TV deal and what they're doing. But the TV deal with the with the Padres uh, looming large, and I would imagine it's playing a big part on roster construction for this team and the fact that they are looking to move somebody who's bound to make a lot of money. So... All right, let's move on. Let's go to that other hot topic. John Heyman tweeted today, the Otani is believed to have already received multiple bids north of $500 million. And some speculate he could even wind up as baseball's first $600 million man or at least come close. I think that's nuts. 
You've got a guy who's had two Tommy Johns. He will not be able to sustain both sides of the ball for very long. I believe that, and I'm not saying that to be negative. However, he's whatever he's doing, he won't be able to continue to do. And he is good enough. He's a star as a hitter alone. He really is. And I just don't know how many years he's going to be one thing until he says, you know, I could just be better if I was on the field. Availability is, 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 an, uh, is an attribute. I say this a lot. If you're not available, like there, there's, there's value in availability. If I look at pitchers and they're throwing 100 to 120 innings a year, I'm kind of like, yeah, but they're not a guy. Because they're not there. They're not pitching. Now, the numbers have changed. I know that Jake and I last week, I believe it was last week, we talked about 200 innings being like a threshold of an ace. And then I looked, I kind of looked back a little bit this week as I was paying attention, and that threshold has to be lowered. You have to do everything with a curve in an era or in a, um, how, yeah, in an era, however you want to say it. We talk about 300 being that baseline. When we were, when we were kids, like, 300 was like, if you're over 300, you're good. You're having a good year. You're doing well. If you're under 300, you got some work to do. But essentially, you were okay with guys who were hitting 280. That's fine. But you're you're all-stars. You're good players. You're guys that you're like, wow, you got to have a couple guys hitting over 300 in your lineup. I mean, that's just not true anymore. There's just not enough guys to go around that can hit over 300 anymore. It, the, the, the line is different. Um, not to mention, the line isn't even average anymore. It's on base. So you even go into that. You're saying like, really, it's not about looking at batting 300 anymore. When if you go back and you look at somebody from the 80s, you don't look at their on-base percentage. You look at their batting average because they were trying to hit 300. But if you look at a player now, don't look at their batting average because they're aiming for an on-base percentage. So it's a different thing. You, you can't go back and look at players who were striving for batting average and say, well, these guys were actually good because they're on-base percentage. That doesn't compute. They weren't trying to have their on-base percentage up. They were trying to hit 300. So you have to measure them to where uh, – I'm going to start losing my voice. You have to measure them to what they were trying to do. And pitchers right now aren't throwing 200 innings. And we're talking about guys getting 33 starts. There's just few and far between because they throw so many pitches – Hitters are more patient, so they're not swinging as early, and you get your pitch counts up higher, so your day will end earlier on average than it would have 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and so on. And so you have to change the, the line there. And, and like I said, we talked about 200 last week. It's just not 200 anymore. I don't know what it is. I didn't you know, come up with the, the – I didn't look it up long enough to say, well, if 200 was this number, then that – it's 190 now or it's 185. I didn't look it up. I apologize if you could hear me taking that drink. I felt like it was extra loud. Anyway, I just don't know, man. This guy is not going to be able to. Back to Otani, I, I, I'm just not sure. However, this is widely believed to be the major holdup on the slow free agent market. And I can see where it holds up teams that are involved. But what's interesting to me is how the teams not in on Otani aren't jumping in and trying to grab those next-tier players away. I'm surprised that a guy like Jordan Montgomery hasn't been offered enough to sign some. Well, that's probably a bad example because Jordan Montgomery's a Boris client, and if, and if Scott Boris is involved, he's going to wait every single time, and he's going to try to drive the price. Once Otani drops, then a team who missed out on Otani may come in and outdo the team who, like, let's say the Rangers, who have already said they're out on Otani. Them and the Red Sox and the Mets, I believe, were the report that they're they're out. They're shifting their focus elsewhere. So let's say the Rangers in particular are saying, who's already, the Rangers have already said, because of this TV deal uncertainty, we're not going out and blowing this thing up again. But retaining Jordan Montgomery might be something they're interested in doing. So let's say they go out and they say, hey, let's move on from Otani. Let's see if we can just get him back. Uh, Boris is going to make them wait because once they're done, if the Dodgers don't get Otani, they may be like, all right, what are, what are they offering you? We'll go more. 
You know what I'm saying? Because they've got it. They've already budgeted for Otani. So, yeah, Boris is going to wait. So Jordan Montgomery is probably a bad example, but you've seen a couple guys already sign. You've seen a couple guys already jump in there and be aggressive and go get some guys. And I could see that happening a little bit more, and I don't know why some of these teams aren't uh, trying to do that. Maybe they are. Maybe the, maybe we're just not talking about it yet. Um, either way, let, let's keep moving on. The Reds and the Cubs, let's stay in our division. They've discussed Shane Bieber trades with the Guardians. They've discussed Tyler Glasnow trades with the Rays. Both teams in on both of those guys, so it, so it sounds. And then there's the, there's the now I've caught up. I've caught up to my notes. Brewers prospect Jackson Chorio, or Chorio, who's the number two prospect in MLB Pipeline right now, has passed his physical and is to sign an eight-year, $82 million deal with the Brewers. He's 19, guys. He's played six games above AA. Um, basically, it's $80 million for eight years, and then two options for eight, nine and 10 for $25 million each, $2 million buyout. So he's guaranteed $82 million. If they buy him out in the very first year of that, he gets $82 million. And it goes up from there. There's also incentives. And so essentially it's eight years, $82 million. As a top end, it could be as much as, uh, I think it's been reported like $142.5 million if all the incentives and options are reached and picked up. And the wildest thing is the Brewers could end up with this guy locked in, no discussions, 10 years. Granted, probably with those last two years, those option years, maybe they decide to move him, which would probably be smart for a small market team to do. Two years remaining, get a big haul back if he's a stud. However, if they're in it, they keep a hold of him. But this guy reaches free agency again at 29. He's still ripe to sign another big deal. Man, that's a model. To go that hard that early, be able to keep a guy for that long, and then the the player himself still gets to hit the market at 29. That's a pretty good deal for everybody. Brewers are onto it there. But that's all they've done too. Um did you happen to see the uh the piece about the Reds having all those infielders? There's been a few of them written. There was one who kind of uh came out because there was a quote recently. Um, but this matters. Um uh, whether or not this team keeps or trades away Jonathan India or another piece in the in the mix there. But you got McLean and Ellie De La Cruz who can both play short, but they're saying that their best shortstop is still in double A. Uh Edwin Arroyo um, just made it to double A this year. So he's got a, a little bit, right? With eventual uh, with eventual Arroyo possibly playing there, it's going to move someone offshore. Obviously, you say, well, it's going to move, it's going to move De La Cruz. But Ellie actually looks better as far as metrics and, and whatever at third base. So would they go with McLean at, at short, Ellie at third, which they did for a lot of it, and then India at second. And then when India's off second, McLean and Ellie move over, and Noel V. Marte is at third. He's in the mix too. But then when you bring up this Arroyo, if all things work out, right? Then all of a sudden you've got Ellie finding, like, where's the spot? India's out, right? By the time Arroyo gets back. So now McLean moves. Ellie goes to short. Marte's there. Or no, Ellie goes to third, and Arroyo comes in. You still don't have a spot for Marte. They've got this shakeup kind of going on there. And, you know, so there's talks about what to do about that and how to maximize all of those young players uh, per Cincinnati Inquirer's Charlie Goldsmith, Ellie was not opposed to a position change. And I want you to listen to this quote. And, and you'll hear exactly when I read this. You're going to know exactly why I'm even talking about this. But this is the quote from Ellie De La Cruz. Wherever the team needs me, that's where I'm going to play. For me, it doesn't matter where I play. I just want to play. I'm going to have fun wherever I am. I just want to play as much as possible. Simple as that. So let me ask this. Do you think that Fernando Tatis Jr.'s move to the outfield has opened the kind of idea of, of this um, to, to some of these younger guys like Ellie De La Cruz? Let's talk about O'Neill Cruz, a guy that we've talked about moving to right field for a long time. Now, granted, right now I'm not moving to right field. 
That's not what I'm saying. But it feels like a lot of years in the minor leagues was missed time at this point. They've got two guys, O'Neill Cruz, Henry Davis, who are so against playing right field, it seems. And I'm not and I'm not putting words into their mouth. This is what it seems. They have the two best arms on the team. They could be assets out there. And we even saw that with Davis out there. Even when he wasn't playing great right field, we saw what that arm can do. And we saw how it kept people from even running at times. That's great. But a lot of a lot of years may have been missed, maybe in learning that position for Cruz. And for Davis, maybe just seems reluctant out there with quotes like, I'm only bringing one glove to the field or whatever the, whatever the quote was. Maybe the Pirates could actually be in a better spot if this was something that they were looking at or considering or Henry Davis was doing his reps and maybe he is doing his reps out there. I don't know. I mean, just you could just start to imagine some different things. There's a lot of people who hate Jack in center field, which by the way, he's fine in center field. He's not great. He's not above average. He's going to be average. If you're looking for an average center fielder, Jack's your guy. Why? Because he's a corner outfielder. But you're certainly not going to put Henry Davis in center field. You could make a case for Brian Reynolds, but he's also not much better than average. Actually, some of the things, you know what I mean, and the, and the metrics were a little less kind to Jack this year than they were the year before where they were very positive. And so there's been a little bit of a... And he played a lot of center field this way this year versus playing a lot of right field the year before. He probably should just be in right field because he's well above average in right field. Despite the fact that people don't like his arm, he's well above average in right field. He's an average center fielder. If you remember, Shinsu Chu played center field. Jack Swinsky certainly can. That's, that's all there is to it. Uh, he wasn't that good either. But he wasn't bad. He didn't hurt you. And I know you guys are going to make a case that he is hurting. And that's fine. You can do that. Once again, that's why we all have opinions. And they're not all the same. Life would be boring if they were. But you could even imagine a world with Cruz in center and Swinsky in right or Davis in right and Swinsky playing first because he was getting blocked. I mean, just imagine these different situations or dealing Swinsky or, or one of these guys from a surplus and being able to, to add starting pitching. And maybe Davis is involved in that anyway, but... Um, you know, you could just imagine where the Pirates might be in a better spot if there was more attitudes like like this. Uh, I, probably uh, probably taking it too far there. But something can change. Even now, something can change. It's up to the players who want to do whatever it takes to win. I think uh, I'd be less interested in this situation if both Davis and Cruz uh, were seen as... as <laughs> Uh, liabilities in their respective positions. Both of them having right arms as an asset would be great for right field. And I think that maybe if they weren't, if there wasn't all the doubts in Davis behind the plate and the errors with O'Neill at short, maybe we wouldn't even be having this conversation. But unfortunately, those are things that actually happen. But Speaking of Ellie and O'Neill and shortstop and right field, I mean, you're looking at a tall Latin shortstop with a ton of power and a ton of excitement and a ton of errors, which both Ellie and O'Neill have, moving out to right field and winning a gold glove. Like, there has to be some sort of interesting, right? There has to be. All in all, like I said, I'm not ready to move Cruz to right field. That's not even... I, I just thought the quote was interesting and it had me thinking a little bit. Uh, you could say you you know, I don't know, man. I just have I just have thoughts about it. Shortstop because it pays better. I want shortstop because it pays better. You can say it's because you want to be the tallest and defy all odds. You can say it's because you're really confident in your ability there. Whatever it is, in the end. I think I'd want to be the best version of myself. Um, that would mean moving to a position that better fit me. I, I'd be all in on it. But Tatis moved probably because there was somebody better than him. So unless there's somebody better showing up, I'd say that's fine. Let it go. Let it go. All right. So I've alluded to a couple of things throughout the throughout the little uh 
spiels that I've gone on, I guess. And that is about speculation. I said it about the Rule 5 draft. I said it about maybe trades uh, around the catching position. I've said it you know, around some of the different things. But speculation in general. And I, I just, uh, as a... I don't know what you, as a confession, I don't really know. I'm, I'm telling you guys, I'm tired of speculating. I'm just at that point right now where I'm, I'm just kind of worn out on it. This offseason, uh, I'm just prepared to wait and see what they do and then allow myself to criticize or praise accordingly. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like that move. I like that move. I'm just not. I'm just not in the mood to speculate. I'm not in the mood to conjure up trades that they could make. I mean, the chances of something that I say actually coming to fruition is next to none anyway. And we have in the past, you know, even since the offseason started, we've said some different things and said guys we like that we'd like them to sign. And there's been a couple things about trade talks or at least who we would be interested in, not you know, who we're getting rid of, but maybe who would be interested in. And and as I kept going down that path, man, I just I just got, you know, worn out on it a little bit. Not that I was even doing it a lot, but I was just like, this is kind of, I'm just kind of tired of it. And there's so much of it out there that I felt like my, any energy I put into it is, is just kind of worthless because everybody's already said everything, it feels like. So there are guys that I like out there as far as free agency. I just... I just haven't speculated trades or I don't know. I, I think there's a time that I'll say we expect this to happen. I did that a few times this week. This will happen. But, guys, it's December 3rd. Um, well, it's December 4th when you're hearing this, but I'm recording this the night before, so it's, we're not even halfway through the off season yet. It's, it's just not fun for me right now. It's not interesting. The amount of players that I do not like as a player, not a person, that I see people suggesting makes me uncomfortable. Instead of being heavily invested in telling everyone, I don't want them to do that. That's not, you know, that's not worth it. I'll, I'll just wait, uh, you know, let people do their thing. And uh, if they sign a player I don't like, I can put my energy into finding a way to like that player or let my voice be heard one way or another, whatever it is. But I just especially am am just kind of tired of it at, at that point. Um, I don't know, man. I there's a lot of thoughts that go along with it, and and the guys that people are suggesting we trade and things like that too. That are just kind of like, man, I don't know why you do that, but it just doesn't. We'll wait and see. We'll see how I feel about it after it's done. I tend to like the players that are on my team because that's what I try to do because I'm a fan and that's what fans do is root for their team. And if they're not rooting for their team, I'm not sure they're a fan of their team. But I, so, you know what I mean? Without being, I mean, still being realistic about it, right? I'm not just sitting here saying like, well, if they're on my team, they're good. I'm not going to say that, but I'm going to root for them to do well. You see what I'm saying? A little bit of a difference. But anyway, it's just speculation in general that that I get a little bit tired of and, you know, just don't feel like going down that path. And as far as the silence of, you know, and I've, I've already said a little bit um, about this, but, you know, we this week is kind of the time. I mean, these are the winter meetings. These are when people are going to be face-to-face. They're going to be having their conversations. If, if you're trying to convince a player to come to Pittsburgh, I mean, let's let's be real here. There's not a huge, it's not like people are banging on the door. You heard what Sonny Gray said when he signed with the Cardinals. Before they ever even talked to him, he had the, he had the Cardinals on his list. Before he ever even talked to him, he was like, if the Cardinals call, I'm interested in that. And so that was an easy deal to do because it's the Cardinals. Because you knew if the Cardinals were in last place, they were never going to repeat last place. Because first off, they've got enough pieces in place to be a good team. They just Their starting pitching was so bad last year. And look what they've done. They've revamped it, and they're going to have some bounce back, guys. But if, you know, if, if all these things, if you're going to convince a guy to come to Pittsburgh, it's going to be that talk face-to-face. The Pirates aren't in the same place as some of these other teams. 
The Reds were in it. The Cardinals are going to be there every year. These free agents are going to sit around and wait and see what comes their way before they're signing with the Pirates. That's just the way it's going to go. They've got to convince. Getting face-to-face with maybe Sherrington or somebody else on the Pirates or however they're making their conversation and have a conversation and see the passion and see that they actually do believe in them, that's the only way you're going to kind of sway a guy to say, you know what, this is an interesting thing. I am interested in going here and being a part of this if they buy in. But they've got some convincing to do. And you say, at least, and I said this too, at least get involved in some of the leaks. Pirates are interested in so-and-so. Give me some rumors. The problem is leaks and rumors never come from the teams. They always come from the agents. So you could see why it's something the agents just aren't talking about. They're just not. They're not going to talk about, well, the Pirates are interested. They don't care. Because what they want to what they want to release is this team that will pay me money is interested. Even if the Pirates are willing to shell it out, they're not that's not news that's breaking. It's like, hey, the Dodgers are calling. The Braves are calling about this trade. If that's happening, then maybe there's some other teams who might say, oh shoot, if they're involved, I better ante up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like that's when news breaks. Not when it's like the Pirates are interested and they're like, yeah, but what are they offering? I'm not in a hurry there. They're not going to sign there. Even if they are, that that would be the perception, right? I got nothing to worry about. But I'm going to wrap this up. I, I hope that, that some of this stuff that I said, and I know that I kind of went through a lot of things and said a lot of words, but I think that kind of leading up to maybe a week where there's going to be some activity and some different things to talk about. I think this was about right. I think this was about right to just kind of generalize some things. So we'll be back at it next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Let's go Bucks. Thanks for listening to my dad and Uncle Jake on the Bridge to Bucktober podcast. Follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Bridge the Number Two October. Don't forget to subscribe so you know when new episodes are released. Clear the deck, cannonball coming, and let's go, Bucks!